All right, well, hey, uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, and we're in John chapter 5, the Gospel of John chapter 5, and uh, we slowly work our way through books in this uh, class, primarily, <clears throat> unless there's something we take a break for, and, um, and we've had some seasons where we just do various passages for like a summer or something like that, but we've been working through the Gospel of John, we're here in chapter 5, we're really looking at verses 9b through 18, but let's start in verse 1 for continuity. Chapter 5, verse 1, this is God's word, John's gospel. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, uh, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. Um, And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've mentioned this a couple of times over the years, but um, uh, I love this illustration, and it's an illustration that shows up in my life and in conversation, not weekly, but uh, every few weeks I have a discussion with somebody about this very thing, which is, what do we capitalize in the worship songs? Um, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but... um, when uh, we have the word him, H-I-M, on the screens, it's a lowercase h. And I know some people go, Elizabeth, it's killing me. It just seems wrong to do that. It just seems wrong. Um, you know, we, I was at a, a, at a worship service recently, and uh, it was crazy. The word righteousness was capitalized, and uh, there were a few other things that were just like spikes, like strange capitalizations, you know, the work that you did, you know, work is capitalized with a capital W, makes no sense whatsoever. Um, and then yet, you know, high priest wasn't capitalized. Um, how about this? Years and years and years ago, um, we sang a song here and um, uh, it was capital H and everybody was very satisfied to see a capital H. It was before I was the worship leader. And when I, came, when I became the worship leader, I was like, hmm, let's change this to a lowercase h. Everybody was singing, his craft and power are great. Would you feel good about singing that? His craft and power are great with a capital H. Does that make your soul feel good? It does? Well, the object, sadly to say, was Satan. 
His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. Oh, but we capitalized the H, and we felt good about it, and we're singing about Satan. My point is this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, if you have a New American Standard or a New King James Version, you will find capital letters on his and his work and, and things like that. But if you have an ESV, um, if you have an NIV, if you have most Bible translations, they do not capitalize all the stuff that's showing up in all these contemporary worship songs. And I know what people are doing. They want to they honor God, um, and they, they want to capitalize words and give God honor and glory, and I don't make fun of that in any way. But, friends, um, I'm keeper of the catalog and, and the words that we sing and process in our minds. Do you think it's good to give God things that are excellent? Do you think that we should give God things that are excellent? How about excellent English? That's my view. I would like to give God excellence, and excellent English is a great way to give excellence to God without all these artificial things. My point in saying all that is, you can see that I come at it thinking, mm, what's biblical? What's the right thing to do? Other people come at it and go, oh, what's biblical? What's the right thing to do? But my point in all that to say is this. If you see um, the word in a song, word with a, with a small w, don't clutch your heart and go, oh, that just feels wrong to me. It feels wrong. It just feels wrong. Well, you better point out a Bible verse when you're talking about right and wrong because there's a right and wrong and the Bible defines it. It's not what we feel is right or wrong. It's not what we have a hunch for. It is what is right and wrong. Um, so all that to say, all that to build up, um, additions to God's law are actually dilutions of it. And here's what I mean by that. Um, back in the day when we first got married, it was cool to have a coat rack. Did y'all used to have a coat rack? You know, every, you had to have a coat rack, and you had to go to the mall, and you had to go to Bombay, the Bombay store, and buy this dark wood thing that was made out of sawdust and glue, and uh, you had to put it together, and you had this Bombay coat rack. And listen, we used that coat rack. We used it all the time, and uh, we, we used it quite a bit. So it would be a light jacket, heavy jacket, da-da-da. I'd put on a hat. I'm a bald man, so I have hats. And, and uh, so eventually, you know, over a, over a winter season where the temperature's changing dramatically, we would have coat, 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 and eventually you just start throwing over the top of the coat rack, just coat, and another coat and a hat. You know, it's just this blob of stuff. Well, when you pile on coats on the coat rack, what can't you see anymore? The coat rack. That is the point, friends. When you take right and wrong as the Bible defines it, and you say, okay, well, to make sure we do right and wrong, let's put this coat on there. And to make sure we do right and wrong, let's put this other thing on there. Let's say we, let's say we praise the Lord a lot. Say praise the Lord a lot. And in your prayer, make sure you say, you know, certain words to, to hold it together, or I love this one too. I, I love not holding hands when you pray. You know why? I've, I've told you that before, but I love not holding hands when you pray. You know why? Number one, I just Purell'd. And your child just went like this. Um, so that's number one. But number two is I love seeing what happens to the prayer circle. Um, let's pray. And then there's dead silence, and you open up your eyes, and they're like, <clears throat> the electricity's broken. It can't funnel up to glory unless we're all, you know. I know that's not what people are thinking. It's families and it's, it's, it's cozy and everybody's together and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, I've seen it over and over and over and over again in other countries too, where if that chain is broken, we can't proceed because it seems wrong. I'm telling you, that's coats on the coat rack. 
And what God wants us to do is see the coat rack. And we get an illustration in this, um, this, this simple account. Um, we don't want right and wrong to be covered with custom. We don't want right and wrong to be covered with personal opinion. We don't want right and wrong to be covered with a certain, uh, you know, a simple lack of, of biblical acumen or accuracy. Um, that's our focus today. So let's look at our first point, which is a coat rack Sabbath. Look at verse 9. And at once the man was healed. So Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And it says in verse nine, and at once the man was healed, he took up his bed and walked. Now here we pick up today. Now that day was the Sabbath. And you see that that is a very Hemingway-esque way of setting the scene. I mean, oh, by the way, all that stuff that happened with Jesus and the guy in 38 years that he's been an invalid and Jesus says, you wanna be well and get up your mat and all that stuff. Oh, that was the Sabbath. And so now the story takes on this other layer of interest and importance to us. Uh, The day was the Sabbath. Um, Now, what are we supposed to understand from that? Well, first of all, um, you remember that Jesus had a former encounter, um, uh, you know, back in last chapter with this um, with this ruler, and this ruler had a terrible crisis of health. He had he had a really sick son. Um, and then there was also this crisis uh, this, that Jesus kind of presents to this woman, uh, this Samaritan woman at Sychar. And, um, and uh, this old man is also a scene in the theater of, of grace stories. Now, the other two end up having a conversion experience. This one doesn't seem to. Uh, the, Com- the Capernaum official believed, the woman at Sychar believed, and we're not sure really at this point whether this man has salvation yet or not. In fact, I'm not even sure all the way through the end of the passage if this guy believed. Now, tuck that away, because we'll come back to it in a second, but back to the scene, verse 9b, that day was the Sabbath. So it's the Sabbath, and the storyline stays right on point with that, uh, and it says in verse 10, that this, it says, so the Jews said to the man, you see what they're thinking of. The, the, the religious leadership is thinking, hey, this is the Sabbath. It's a big deal to them. It was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. So that's the big concern. It's like, you've broken the rules, na 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 boo boo. Why, why are you walking around with a mat? In fact, it was probably more than a, a, a nice yoga mat from Target. It was probably a, quite a stinky old, nasty old, gnarly mat, which may have even been some kind of a stretcher because somehow he had to get carried there by a couple people every single day. So who is this man? It says in verse 20, that's what, that's what their question is. They say, um, who is it that healed you? Uh, verse 12, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Yeah, who is the man? That who is really the big question, friends. It, the, the, it's, it's, it's the big question. Who is this person? Um, what they're really saying is, who has the authority to do this? Who has the authority to tell you to take up uh, your mat and walk <clears throat> and, you know, in verse 17, it, it, go, it will go on to say, Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Now, that's the divinity of Jesus, not only recorded, um, but so is the response of the people. And in verse 18, it says, this is why the Jews were seeking to kill him. They were, they were, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was, he was claiming authority. He was telling them who he is, and that's the rub. It's the Sabbath, and who is this guy? Oh, he's claiming to be divine and claiming to be apparently above the rules of the Sabbath. And so they get it. They understand what Jesus is purporting. He's claiming this divinity about himself, and that's why they want to kill him. So this issue of the Sabbath is a big deal. Now, a couple quick things 
um, uh, that we'll talk about. One will be in the next point. But this first one is this, the law under the coat rack. Um, for instance, they, uh, they take the command to cease from labors, all right? And it's a command. I mean, God builds, we'll talk about it more in the next point. But, but God gives us the Sabbath. Um, it's something for us. It's something um, for our good. It says this in uh, Exodus um, 16, 29. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. He's given it to you. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And so you see that not only are they supposed to rest, but it says, remain each of you in his place. So they're not supposed to travel either. All right, so this is the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings in Exodus, and um, God gives them a double portion of manna, and he says, don't, don't venture out. Stay where you are, and they're not supposed to travel. And so what they would do, what these religious leaders would do uh, prior, to, prior to Jesus showing up on the scene and during Jesus' day, they would say, okay, well, if we're not supposed to journey, um, how can we Corey B. trots this thing? <laughs> I mean, let's find the slippery, oily, legal loophole and exploit it. All right, so if we can't travel, uh, what if I tie a rope around my leg and tie it to my doorpost, and uh, I go as far as the rope is concerned, and I really haven't traveled because I'm still connected to home? That's what they would do. Or they would say, um, well, I'm going to get me a plate of food and put it at my buddy Bob's house because he's got video games. And on the Sabbath, I'm going to tie the old rope to the foot and go as far as that takes me, and then I'm going to take that off, and I'm going to go to Bob's house where I got a plate of food waiting for me, and when I get to that plate of food, that's going to be my meal, and in in a way, I've established home because I'm eating a meal, and uh, that's how I'm going to get around that loophole, that that, that, that law. Well, that is coat rack theology, friends, and uh, there's a million, there's a million, things like that too. Like it was uh, illegal uh, per the rabbis to uh, take, like for instance, take your laundry from upstairs to downstairs, okay? Because that was working um, if you carried it. But if you wore it, well, you're just wearing it. So you could put it on, walk it downstairs, take it off, and you've carried it downstairs and you haven't violated the law because you haven't done any work. There's all kinds, it goes on and on. Listen, I'm not making this up. You can look it up. There's crazy thing after crazy thing after crazy thing. You can spit on a rock, you can't spit on the mud, because if you spit on the mud, it might mix up, and now you're plowing. It's cuckoo, ladies and gentlemen. It's cuckoo. And so what happens is, rather than saying, okay, what does God want? What will express my personal devotion to this God and the will that he's laid out for me? Rather than doing that, it's like, how can I get away with, uh, you know, uh, with this and that? You know, how can I get away with it without my dumb wife finding out? Is that devotion? You know, application for your life. I'm, by the way, I'm not calling my wife dumb, by the way. Uh, I would never do that. Um, but I, I may have said this before, but I'd, I'd like to, before I die one day, I, I've, I've toyed around with writing some kind of a book, and uh, I would love for one of them to be Barnacles on Grace, because there are barnacles on grace all over the place, little customs and little things we do and little habits we have that make us feel righteous, like we're in the goody-two-shoes clubs, like holding hands to pray and uh, even, even sneezing. You know, you know, this God bless you thing, it, it's steeped in superstitious, superstition, right? And you know what I say when people say God bless you? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, people do it in the, people do it in the, I've done it, heard, a dude did it over at a Lowe's one time to me. I went, achoo, and I could hear him say, oh, bless you, you know, from plumbing. 
Uh, you know what I say? I always say, and you, my child. That's kind of cute, isn't it? God bless you, and you, my child. Um, I don't even like the God bless you's. It just seems like this little weird formality and, and, and all that. <clears throat> um, anyway, be on guard for um, sorting things out per the scriptures. If you can't point to it and say, this is what the Bible says, this is what is right and wrong. If you can't point to it, then, then don't support it with our little customs and habits and little things that make us feel like we're in the goody two-shoes club. Um, seek God's law and do remember that you're ultimately seeking him. That's what you're looking for. God doesn't give us his law um, it's the, just so that we can follow it like little robots. He wants a personal relationship with us. I mean, isn't that what you want? Um, it, it, to, for that to fuel your love of his law, that you love him, what he says is who he is. Don't you want a relationship with him? Uh, if so, then you are serving in deep, loving gratitude. All right, second point. Uh, a Christian Sabbath. Um, now, why is the Sabbath such a huge issue? And does the Sabbath make a difference to you and me today? Well, yes. Um, in Genesis 2, it says this uh, in the creation account. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God rested the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, I would say that that is a really highly stylized way of writing, wouldn't you? I mean, this, it's, it's, it's kind of this noble, poetic form of saying, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work that he had done. I mean, it's just this, this statement that will surpass all cultures and all languages and all societies. It's a thing that can be understood for all time. Um, you, you think that God might be conveying in some grand way um, that, that, that will, will, will be sustained throughout history. And Genesis um, 2 continues to address the Sabbath. Um, and by the way, don't forget the Ten Commandments. I mean, uh, in Exodus 20, it says this, um, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, livestock, livestock, sojourner who's living in your gates, for God in six days made heaven and earth and sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. And so, to, the, to a Pharisee's credit, there's at least a concern for God's honor. There's at least a concern for God's honor. There's at least a concern for God's um, rule of law. It's true. Um, but it can become obscured. And here's how it became obscured. And here's why I have a Christian Sabbath. Not just the Sabbath, but a Christian Sabbath. Look at verse 10. The Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, friends, <clears throat> isn't that sweet? He's been lying there for 38 years, can't get around, probably quite well known, I would say, for 38 years if you've been tripping over this guy. Religious leadership knows about this pool. They know about the paralyzed and the lame and the blind. And uh, their response is not, wow, you can walk. Wow, praise for that. I mean, good for you. That's amazing. How did this happen? What they see is, you can't be hearing around a mat on the Saturday. That's all they can see. Um, they see transgression, and they miss the point that the Sabbath is good for us. 
The Sabbath was given by God for our benefit, and that's the thing they don't see. They turn it, rather, into a series of tedious moral gymnastics so they could check off the box of having fulfilled their little religious duty, which does not impress God in any way. In fact, it repels him because um, uh, he's repelled by the proud. In fact, the Bible says in a couple of places that he resists the proud. Well, the proud say, you ought to be impressed by this God because I really, really knocked out some good, righteous stuff here. God resists that. Well, friends, application for your life. What do we do with the messy scenes that are all around us? Because the church is filled with messy scenes. You know, you talk about people uh, working at the church or or being an intern, or being a secretary, or just being an elder, um, being somebody who is involved a lot, and, 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 they, and they say, well, I got, a shot, I, got a, I got a picture of the underbelly of the church. Well, guess what? You are the underbelly of the church. <laughs> we all are. I mean, we're just flawed and needy and limping, and, and, and we do unpredictably stupid, sinful things, don't we? Things we're ashamed of, and sin is embarrassing. It is. What do we do with all these people who are among us, including ourselves, who are rocked with sin and fears and lusts and idols and behaviors that they've been fighting as long as they can remember? Uh, What do we do with saints that somehow seem stable and all of a sudden things crumble? Or you might look at a marriage within the church and go, man, I want my marriage to be like them. Oh, they're so awesome. And then one day you hear they've fallen apart and you go, them? What do we do with all that? What do you, what do, you do with people who come in here um, and uh, they've got all kinds of sin issues? Um, I, you know, I, I saw a testimony of a, a woman who was a stripper uh, years ago. It was a video uh, of her testimony. And um, it's an amazing story. I, I played it on a senior high retreat. It's an amazing story. She, she doesn't even know why. She doesn't even know why she's seeking out a Bible and a pastor, but she somehow is. But you know that she, she comes to Christ, and in her testimony, she says, I came to accept Jesus. I didn't even know it was happening. Oh, I know what it was. She walked into a Christian bookstore and walked up to a lady and said, what's happening to me? Is that not awesome? God does some work in her life, like Jesus going into Samaria, and he finds this woman, and she doesn't know where to go, so she walks into like a Zondervan, <laughs> and she walks up to the clerk and goes, what's happening to me? And the lady says, well, what? And he, well, I'm, 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 I'm. I'm finding myself yearning for the Bible and, and wanting to pray, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting deep. And the, and the lady goes, well, honey, God's saving you. <laughs> and that, indeed. Well, my point is, she went to her job for three more weeks as a stripper. And after about three weeks, she went to the front door of the place, and she was like, ah, I can't do this anymore. But it took three weeks. My point is, what do we do with those three-week people or those two-year people, or those people that struggle with the sin for 25 years, and they keep coming in the door, and they blow it, and they keep coming in the door, and they blow it. What do we do? What we want to do is clean up the mess and then go, good, good. Now, here's Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus is the mess cleaner-upper. He's the mess cleaner-upper, and he does it in the power of the Spirit he sends. Um, just like seeing a restored man working on the Sabbath, you see him working on the Sabbath, carrying his mat. What you ought to do is go, hey, buddy, 
Um, I know you're. I know you're carrying your mat on the Sabbath. Uh, you're not really supposed to do that. But why don't you come on over and we'll let's grill some hamburgers. Let's celebrate. I think it would be appropriate. All I'm saying is that the church, among the many things she is, is always a hospital. And uh, what we want to do with the hurting and the limping and the messy, bloody uh, scenes that walk in here is. Um, just love them and tend to their wounds and let the Holy Spirit sort it all out. We don't need to fix them and get our perceptions of the law all squared off uh, before we can have them. Let, let God do the work uh, through us. All right, next point, last point, getting the point. Um, verse 14, um, yeah, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, remember, he didn't even know who Jesus was. God says, you want to be well? Um, and he says, uh, well, I got nobody to take me into the magic waters there, uh, the, uh, you know, Arkansas hot springs. And, uh, and Jesus says, get up your mat and walk, take your mat and walk. And he does. And then Jesus disappears into the crowd. The guy doesn't even know who he is. And so afterward, Jesus finds the guy in the temple. He comes up to him. He goes, hey, see you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, um, let's apply this and explain this all in one shot. Don't be scared when you read that. Um, if you... Um, you read that, that, that nothing worse may happen to you. Um, that, that, that all sounds scary and it sounds works-oriented. And we're going, Jesus, what are you doing to your own gospel there? Um, listen, flip ahead if you would to chapter 9. Same Jesus. Here, here's a lesson from the lips of the Savior. And I think that this shines light on what we're looking at. Because commentators, they disagree about what we're looking at in our passage today. I think this shines light on it. Uh, John chapter 9, verse 1. As uh, Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. So Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It was no one's sin that caused him to be born blind. It was that, that I might be glorified in doing, a, in doing a, a, a healing work in this man, but that God would be glorified in his life. And so I think that shines light on what we're saying here. When Jesus says to the guy, hey, see your will, well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. I don't think Jesus is saying, and there are some commentators that, that will argue that he is, and uh, it's shocking to me, actually. Um, friends, is there something worse than being paralyzed, unable to walk? Is there something worse than that? Yeah. You know what it is? Gehenna. <laughs> you know what it is? Um, dying and spending an eternity apart from God's love and grace. That's worse than being lame all your life. Um, um, that's what Jesus was up to. It's not some reference to some guy's former deed. It's a summons to believe in the Savior. Jesus approaches him, um, there, there's not a regenerated heart yet. And Jesus says, hey, see you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse than may happen to you. In other words, Jesus is carrying out this work. If you flip back down to verse 18, or excuse me, the end of verse 17, it says, in fact, I'll even show you. I wrote, I underlined working and wrote an arrow that pointed back up just so I would remember what the heck I was talking about. Um, Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Well, what is the work that Jesus is doing? It is this, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. There's an eternal situation here, my friend. Oh, I'm glad you took up your mat and, 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 uh, and were able to walk. 
But guess what? Somebody had authority to do that. Somebody had authority to take your old dry bones and make them walking around again. And uh, Jesus is that somebody. Um, I got a cool quote for you, and then, um, then we'll close up. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Jesus reaches beyond to remind that God himself goes beyond the letter of the Sabbath law in working to constantly sustain the world and in acting with grace toward needy people on the Sabbath. Implicit in the claim is a self-consciousness of the most audacious and revolutionary kind. Jesus is claiming a unique identity with the Father, a fact not lost on his hearers, which provokes provokes their hardening commitment to eliminate him. I know that's a lot of verbiage, and I just stumbled over it. It's a lot more pretty if I read it uh, majestically. But um, it's all to say they get what the situation is. Um, Jesus tells this guy to pick up his mat and walk, and guess what? The guy does. And then Jesus says, uh, oh, well, um, my father is working and I'm working. Well, they understand what Jesus is saying. It says that's why they were seeking to kill him. Because not just because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he was calling himself equal to God and calling God his father. Now, I close with something that I've been thinking about lately. Um, Jesus asked the man, I think it's just a cool question in verse six, when he says, um, do, you, do you wanna be healed at the end of verse six? He comes to this guy, he's at the pool uh, of, the, of the Bethesda, and he sees all these people, and, he, and Jesus approaches this one particular guy who's been sick for 38 years, he's been laying there, he can't walk, and Jesus walks up and says, do you want to be healed? Now, that's a bigger question than it looks. When Jesus says, do you want to be healed, it, it, he's really saying, do you want your life to be radically altered and never the same Ever again, all of your allegiances will be aligned with God throughout your lifetime uh, and toward eternity. And that's really the gospel situation, friends. Um, yeah, if I had to choose between a crummy place and a wonderful place after I'm dead, I'll take the wonderful place. That sounds great. Um, if that's the brochure and if you're, if you're closing the deal and you put them out there, I'll go, mm, I'll take that one. Sounds nice. But is that what salvation is? No. There is a radical nature. I mean, the people who couldn't walk before can walk. And the people who can't see the kingdom of God can suddenly see the kingdom of God. And the people who thought that this book was absolute foolishness and that Christians were a bunch of nincompoops and that we were just, you know, flat earth, UFO nut jobs, um, all of a sudden they go, wow, I see the beauty and glory of God's handiwork and everything that's been made cosmos, everything else. I mean, it's, everything's different. That's the gospel plea. And I make to you the gospel plea. You want to be healed? Searching person, heart that has a question mark, you want to be healed? It's more than just, yeah, well, just sign me up. That sounds like a nice uh, tour. It's, do you want everything about your life to be flipped on top of itself? You want everything to be topsy-turvy? Do you want what you scoffed at to become the most precious thing in the universe? Well, that's what you get with this Christ. Um, receive the Lord of glory. He's the one who lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, and he died the death that you should have died. That's the gospel transaction. Believe it and live. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> I pray that I haven't muddled uh, your message or stumbled into the way of truth.
uh, rather, Lord, strip away all the stuff that is superfluous, all the stuff that is baggage to your law and your gospel and your character and your beauty and your plans. Strip it all away, Lord, that we might not point to some thing and say, I'm okay because of that. What we want is you, the living God, and we want to love you and we want to adore you and live that way that our gratitude and love might be expressed in what we do. So empower us, Lord. Help us in the life of our church. Let us, let us own the church that you love. Let us, let us embrace the messes that come through our doors and let us not try to fix them, but let us try to love them and bandage them and let you and your power uh, do the saving work. We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.